turn together to the book of Genesis, chapter 24. Our text this morning is the story of Isaac and Rebekah, of the gathering or the gaining of a wife for the heir of Abraham. If you please would give attention to the reading of God's holy word. It is a a long text. It is a long text with some repetition. And so, if we would please give attention to the reading of God's word. The word of the Lord is completely without error. It is completely sufficient. And it is completely authoritative. Genesis 24. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from among the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house, and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he rose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city of the well of water at the time of eating, evening the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Please grant me, excuse me, behold, I am standing by the spring of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink. And who shall say, Drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant, Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. 
Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water. And she drew for all his camels. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing ten gold shekels and said, Please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. She added, We have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. The man bowed his head and worshipped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban, and Laban ran out toward the man to the spring. As soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms and heard the words of Rebekah his sister, thus the man spoke to me, he went to the man. And behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. He said, Come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. So the man came to the house and unharnessed the camels and gave straw and fodder to the camels. And there was water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Then food was set before him to eat. But he said, I will not eat until I have said what I have to say. He said, speak on. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master, and he has become great. He has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male servants and female servants, camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when he was old, and to him he has given all that he has. My master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, in whose land I dwell. But you shall go to my father's house and to my clan and take a wife for my son. Then the servant recounts the story that we have seen early in this chapter. We pick up again at verse 52. When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord. And the servant brought out jewelry of silver and of gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave his brother and her mother costly ornaments. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank, and they spent the night there. When they arose in the morning, he said, Send me away to my master. Her brother and her mother said, Let the young woman remain with us for a while, at least ten days. After that she may go. But he said to them, Do not delay me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. They said, Let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebekah and said to her, Will you go with this man? 
she said, I will go. So they sent away Rebekah and her sister, their sister, excuse me, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate them. Then Rebekah and her young women arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. Now Isaac had returned from Beer Laharoi and was dwelling in the Negeb. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field towards evening, and he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah his mother and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon us. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would use this, your word, not only to inform us, O Lord, but to encourage us, to show us, O Lord, your providence, your control, and your love for your people. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we all want to know at times what happens next. Have you ever found yourself at the end of a particularly enjoyable movie saying, I wonder if there'll be a sequel and if it'll be good? Or perhaps reading a new book, a novel, and you think to yourself, I hope the author has already worked on volume two. Or perhaps it's even been in real life as you begin to prepare to graduate from high school and you think, what will college be like? How will it be different? How will it be the same? What's the next stage of life? Perhaps the most poignant time of thinking, what will come next? Is in the room of the young lady dressed in white before she is about to be married, to head out on her own, as it were, to start her own family with her husband. But I guarantee you that the same kinds of thoughts and concerns are going through the minds of dad and mom as well. What's next? What will happen? This happens too in the scriptures. You see, the Bible is not just a series of propositions laid out for us, truths to be memorized. The Bible is the story of God's redeeming of a people. And if I say so myself, it's a fascinating story. It has all types of characters, twists and turns. And here we come to a point where we ask ourselves, what is next? God has promised to Abraham to bless the nations through him to make him a father of many nations. That the world will be blessed through him. 
He has given Abraham and Sarah a son. And Isaac is grown. And he is, as we see in this chapter, he is now out on his own. He has sort of taken over or expanded the family business. The family business is to be a nomad, a traveler. And Isaac is out on his own doing this. He is ready to strike out. And yet, his family is not complete, for he needs a wife. He needs a wife and children, not just to make him happy, but because that also will fulfill the promise of God. Because, you see, the promise of God doesn't stop with Abraham. So what do Isaac, Abraham, and those in his household do at this point? They might be tempted to worry They might be tempted to try and plan every detail. But instead they do what they have been doing for years. They look to the Lord. In the midst of all the uncertainty of life, they look to the Lord. And so this morning I would like us to see four things from this long text. First, I would like us to see God's people looking to the Lord's future. You see, the future is not just something out there. The future is the Lord's. He has decreed it. He has planned it. He has prepared it for us. The second thing I would like us to see is God's people looking to the Lord's providence. For you see, in the here and the now, the things that happen to us are not random. They are a result of the providence of God. Thirdly, we will see God's people looking to the Lord's priority, prioritizing their lives and their actions by what God puts first. And then lastly, we will see our story close with them looking to the Lord's blessing. Looking for the Lord's future, His providence, His priority, and His blessing. Let's begin then by looking at verse 1, and our story begins with Abraham. Now, Abraham was old. Have you ever wondered how truthful the Bible is? You know, usually it takes a five or a six-year-old to walk up to someone and look at them straight in the eye and say, you know, you're old. We don't normally use that kind of language, do we? We call people seasoned citizens. We say we're experienced, all of which are true. I find myself getting more and more experienced and seasoned every year. But you see, the Bible wants us to understand something about Abraham. This is not a joke or an insult. This is a description of who Abraham is. It reminds us that we are now at the next story. There is a changing of the guard about to happen here. And so because of this, This story is laid out in great detail. You can almost ride the camel. You can almost feel the heat. It is the longest chapter in all of Genesis. And the only story that is longer is the flood. And that's because it spans over three chapters. You see, God wants us to understand that our lives are not just our own. There is more to them than that. We don't live in a vacuum. We live in relationship with others. And we are not just living for ourselves. We live also for our children and for our grandchildren so that we might see the legacy of faith passed down. 
this reminds us also that earthly blessings are not for forever. God has kept all of his promises to Abraham. Abraham has everything that he could possibly want. He had a long and loving marriage. He has great wealth. He has security. He has a son, the heir of the promise. And yet, he's now growing old. And these things will not last forever. And so, Abraham, because he knows he's old, and because he knows he's in a weakened state, he's unable to travel now to find his son a wife, he also is prepared. He's prepared for the future that God has given to him. You see, what Abraham has done is he has taken God's word that he has given to him throughout his whole life, and he has planned now for this time based on God's word. He may not be able physically to do the things he once did, but he can still trust and apply God's word just as effectively. He looks out and he knows that Isaac needs a wife. But he also knows that it cannot be someone from Canaan. He can't just sit around and hope a nice girl comes wandering into the encampment and says, you know, I never thought there'd be anything better in life than to marry Isaac. You see, he realizes there are temptations and difficulties surrounding marriage. Parents, do you understand this? Because you see, I wonder if often we have the same mentality that I've just described Abraham shouldn't have in our own lives. We just assume that on a college campus, some Handsome, dashing, godly man will walk up to our daughters and say, I've never thought of anything better but then to marry you. Or that some industrious, chaste, Proverbs 31 girl will simply bump into our son at Walmart and say, would you like to get married? Now you see, that sounds funny, But I think perhaps the opposite is true as well. Others of us go to the other extreme. We go and we draw up a picture of what a future spouse should look like and then we go out and find one for our child. And we are shocked, just simply shocked, when they are not as excited about the future spouse as we are. But you see, Abraham knows his son. He knows Isaac and he knows how he must plan especially in a hostile area here. He has to trust the Lord with the future, but he doesn't trust the Lord by being passive. That's an important lesson for us. Trusting God does not mean sitting on the couch. Trusting God means being very active because you know God is with you and he will protect you. And so what Abraham does is consistent with the past that God has kept his promise that Something will work out. He sends his most trusted servant to go find a wife for Isaac. He says, God will go on ahead of you. He will send his angel. You see, Abraham trusts God. The servant perhaps is not quite so sure. He asks the very practical question in verse 5. Well, what do I do if I get there? And she won't come back. What do I do? Do I then take Isaac and go bride shopping in Mesopotamia? 
And Abraham says, no, for two reasons. First, we trust God, and second, we have God's word, because you know God promised this land to us, not Mesopotamia, and I will not have my son tempted to deny the promise. Abraham is trusting God. The second thing we see is that God's people then begin to look to the Lord and His providence. The servant gathers up this entire retinue, ten camels, and all of the people that go along with it. It is a sight to see. Ten camels would be a sign of incredible wealth. It would be as if someone rolled into town with four BMWs, a couple of Porsches, and a couple of Cadillacs. You see, you didn't own a camel unless you were very, very wealthy. They were not really domesticated animals at this time. And so the servant of Abraham goes out to find a wife for Isaac. He is relying on God. You see, he had learned from Abraham how to live. And he begins here to speak in verse 12. He says, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success. Another way of translating that might be, Lord, please make it happen. I'm trusting you. You see, he is going off out into the desert. The plan is not exactly fully baked. He is just sort of to go out there and find the perfect wife for Isaac. She is to be the next matriarch in the faith. She is to be the next Sarah. And he's just going off blindly, not really knowing where he is going. And so what does he do? He does what you and I should do. When we're faced with uncertainty around elections, or jobs, or school, he goes to the Lord. He says, Lord, please make it happen. It's only going to happen if you make it happen, Lord. Please do this. Show me that you have covenant love for my master Abraham. Show your faithfulness to me in this this small thing. And you see, what he does is he begins to look to the Lord's providence in prayer and he begins his prayer by pleading back the character of God to him. God, I know you are faithful. Show yourself faithful. Lord, I know you are loving Show yourself loving. Lord, I know you are in control. Show yourself in control. This is a lesson for our prayer life. And he then begins to ask for a sign. Now, I want you to notice the great wisdom in what he asks for. He is not tempting God. He does not say, Lord, please, the first town that I am supposed to stop in, make it rain fire from heaven. Make the earth part open and birds fly out, so I will know. He says something very natural. He says, Lord, when I go to the well, which is the ancient equivalent of the mall, or nowadays maybe the ancient equivalent of Amazon, it's where everybody goes. When I go there and I see people coming in and out, then help me, Lord. And he says, when a girl comes, when a lady comes to water, to get water and to water her animals, let me ask her for a drink of water. Now, this is all very natural, but he adds a slight twist. 
And he says, let her then, when I ask, say, let me water your camels as well. That is not something that would be first on somebody's list. A camel can use up about 25 gallons of water on a long trip. Now, ladies, I want you to think about how fun it would be to go to your sink and fill up a gallon milk jug 250 times for a stranger. Is that going to be first on your list? I don't think so, especially when it isn't asked for. So what the servant here is asking for is something a little bit extraordinary, but it's extraordinary in a way in which it will reveal the character of the woman. She is industrious. She is hospitable. She is kind. He's thinking here. This is what he asks. And then he does something that we are tempted not to do. That is, he begins to act. He moves into action. He prays, but he also acts. We are so tempted to pray without acting or to act without praying. And you see, these two things go together. We go to the Lord in prayer, and that gives us confidence that we can then act. And we see this in verse 17. Rebecca comes down, and the servant runs to meet her. You get the idea that in his mind now, there's a glint in his eye, and his wheels are turning, and he says, Ooh, I hope this is the one. And he runs off to go talk to her. And he is going to go through his test, so to speak. So he walks up to her, or excuse me, he runs up to her. And he says, please give me a little water to drink from your jar. He starts very, very small. Can I just have a sip, is what he says. You know what that means. right? Some of you have young daughters or, or young boys. And they say, can I have a sip of that drink, mom, dad? They don't want a whole cup. They just want a sip. But see, now you're wise enough to know that there's a lot more than a sip behind that. That's what the servant is. He wants a sip, but he's waiting. Maybe she'll offer something more. Maybe this will go somewhere. And she says, go ahead and drink. And then when she finished the drink, she says, I will draw water for your camels also. And you could just imagine the guy's jaw must have dropped. Because I'm telling you right now, from this description, there's a reason this text is so long. This is the perfect lady. Look at her. First of all, she's related to Abraham. How better could you get than that? He stumbled on one of her, one of his close relatives. Not just a second, third cousin, twice removed. I don't even know how that works. She's a close relative. She's also... Nothing wrong with this, gentlemen. She is very beautiful. She's not just beautiful. She is very beautiful. But I want you to think about this for a minute, young men. She's described as being very beautiful in a context in which she is lugging a big jar to carry water in the middle of the heat and the sweat and around camels and animals. She's not very beautiful because she's got four-inch fake lashes at high heels, and is all dialed up, and says, oh, my nails are wet. There's a beauty there that is physical, but it is there because of her inner beauty and who she is. And we know this because she is industrious. She's going to water all of the camels. 
there are offensive linemen that wouldn't want to take this job on. She takes it on readily. And the servant is so struck by this and God's providence that he says this must be the case and he gives her all of this jewelry. Now remember, we said just last chapter that the price of a field for 400 shekels was pretty high for a field. He's just given her 20 and a half shekels worth of jewelry. It's not a bad hour's wage for doing some watering. 15, 20 grand. Not bad. And then he does something very interesting. He's found the woman. God's answered his prayer. He sees success in his sight and he does the most un-American thing that you could ever imagine. He bows down and he worships God. He doesn't puff out his chest. He doesn't say, oh, well, you know, I know what I'm doing. Oh, Abraham sent the right man to get the job. No better man than the servant. Right? You see, this is typically act, isn't it? When God blesses us, we think somehow it's us. You know what it's like, right? Ladies, your husband has that story. The story that makes it sound like when the car almost ran out of gas and he found the gas station on time, that he had fought off the combination of the Taliban, the Nazis, and the Soviet Union to get in line. But you see, the servant here knows who is at work. He is in the hand of the Lord. God is in charge. And so he then goes off to this household and he begins then to prioritize his life around God's plan. He doesn't bother telling them the long journey that he's taken. He doesn't bother telling them all the things he knows or he's done. He cuts, he cuts right to the chase. This is why I have come. And he tells this story. He says, I'm Abraham's servant. And now he's got them right from the beginning. You can imagine everybody, Abraham. Yes, he left so long ago. We don't know what happened to him. Tell us about Abraham. Well, you see, the Lord has blessed him. He's given him flocks and herds, and he is very wealthy and powerful, as evidenced, of course, by the the big honking bracelets I gave Rebecca. And there's, tell us more, tell us more. Well, he has a son, and his son is to be his heir. And they think, ooh. And you know, he's his only heir. There's not 20 to split up the fortune among. Ooh. Now, We're going to find this out more in detail later, but I guarantee you, just like the cartoons, Laban's eyes are coming out of his head with dollar signs because he is all about the greenbacks. Ooh. Tell us more. Tell us more. And he continues on. He lays out his case. He tells of the oath that he had made to Abraham in verse 37 and he tells of God's providence he tells this story about how he had prayed and before he had even finished praying God had answered his prayer and he says so now we have to move forward what do you say and then they look at each other in verse 50 and they say we can't speak to you bad or good we don't we, our our mouths are shut you have obviously shown us that the Lord is at work. 
You see, the providence of God has shown God evident. But it is up to us in that providence to make God's priorities our priorities. Because the providence that we receive is not for our benefit alone. It is for the Lord's purpose. You see, the bigger and overarching thing that is going on here is that God is building His kingdom. He is assuring that the promise will go forward. This is more than just to make Isaac happy. And so the servant knows the urgency of this. He says, I don't even want to eat until I can tell you my story. And then after he says the story, he wakes up the next morning and he says, let's go. Come on, pack a bag. And they say, no, no, no. Can't, let's, let's just, let's get ready here. And they use this odd phrase here. They say, let her stay. Let her stay a while, at least 10 days. This is not mark 10 days off on your calendar and go. This is perhaps some of you when you were younger, or maybe some of you even now have spoken to your parents about getting married, and they say, well, you know, we'll, we'll talk about that. And you think, when? No, we'll, we'll get, we'll, we'll, sometime. When sometime? Next month? No, no, sometime. And you know this is just kind of off there. There's no sense of urgency. But you see, the servant won't have this. He says, no, we've got to leave now. And they do this extraordinary thing in Bible times. They say, let's ask her. There's a novel thought. Let's ask Rebecca if she wants to leave right now. Why do you think they do this? Do you think they're liberated in their thinking? Do you think they don't want to be accused of having a war on women? What do you think? I don't think it's anything like that. I think this is an opportunity for us to see the faith of Rebecca shining. Think of what she has been asked. Let's leave now your family and you will never see them again to go marry a man that you have never met. Takes an awful lot of faith to say, yes, let's go, doesn't it? You see, faith isn't just for mountaintops where God tells you to sacrifice your son. Faith isn't just for pulling people out of Sodom and Gomorrah. Faith is needed for the everyday decisions that we have that are monumental in our lives. We need to trust the Lord with our children, with our spouses, with our jobs, with our meals, with our budgets, with our homes. And Rebecca shows here that she is following in the footsteps of Sarah. And then the last thing we see is our story concludes is this wonderful scene of success the servant's task is done rebecca now will have a husband the promise will go forward and you can imagine as they roll into the encampment isaac is now out on his own we see here in verse 60 and following in verse 62 excuse me he's out dwelling in the negev he's not with abraham and hebron anymore and he's going out in the field to meditate. Which shows us that Isaac is also a man of faith. He has anxiety about the future. Sure, he's the son of the promise. But he's out on his own now. That's scary, isn't it? His mother's just died. His father is about to die. He's too old to make a journey. And so his response to this kind of anxiety... 
as a strong, strapping, powerful young man is to go and to be with God. To meditate upon the Lord. We see then Rebecca's anxiety. She comes up and she's nervous. She formally gets down from the camel. She puts her veil over her head. She asks the servant, is this the one? Oh, I hope so. She's hopeful but yet anxious. And the servant says, yes, he is. And they come together and this is the best of any Hollywood movie. They come together and you see the stars and the connection because God has brought them together. You see, it's not the way they look. It's not the phrases that they've said to each other. You know things will be all right because we know the character of both of these young people. We know they're trusting the Lord and that they have acted upon that trust in the Lord. And God shows himself faithful right in their midst. Isaac takes Rebecca into his mother's tent. You wonder why he does that? Because she will now be Sarah. She will be the matriarch of God's people. She will be leading them going forward. And in the midst of the promise going forward and knowing that the Messiah will come and that faith is here, I want you to see one last final vignette from God. In the midst of the grand scheme of redemptive history, what is the last line? So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. You see, our God is not just the God of the universe. He is not just the God of eternal plans. He is not just the God of big nations and the world. He is also the God of each and every one of us. And He knows in the midst of His big plans what you need. And here Isaac needs comfort. And God gives it to him. Trust the Lord. Trust Him not just with the big plans. Trust Him to take care of you and to shower His blessings upon you in Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You this morning that You've given to us this wonderful story of Your servants Isaac and Rebecca. And we ask, O Lord, that You would remind us that we too are Your servants. And we too grieve and are anxious. And we pray, O Lord, that even now you would stir up in us the faith that you give to us, that we might follow after you. We ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.